This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the podcast that keeps you updated and educated. Tech Guide, episode 474. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Great to have you joining me once again. My name is Stephen Fennec. I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, it's 20 years since the iPod was introduced. We'll take a little stroll down memory lane. Apple has unveiled its new 14-inch and 16-inch MacBook Pros, and Telstra cracks 3.6 gigabits per second on 5G in the Sydney CBD. We'll tell you how they did it. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to take a look at the new third-generation AirPods. We'll also run our eye over the brand-new Google Pixel 6 and Pixel 6 Pro smartphones, and we'll also check out the new Sonos Beam Generation 2 soundbar, and we'll answer all of your tech questions in the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that keeps you connected, and Norton, the company that keeps you protected. Can you believe it was 20 years ago when Steve Jobs stood up? The actual date was October the 23rd, 2001. It was it was barely a month after 9-11. I think um, I, I did read somewhere there, there were suggestions that maybe uh, they, they, they were thinking of delaying the launch, but uh, Steve Jobs and Apple pressed ahead. They thought, well, we want to get this out before Christmas. It's all about music, and that's what they did. That, that fateful day back at the Apple's Cupertino headquarters, Steve Jobs got up on sale, uh, on stage, I should say, and said, he said, we're going to introduce a breakthrough digital device that's not a Mac. And everyone was thinking, Ooh, what, what do we have here? And he went on to explain about the Mac being the digital hub and how we were taking digital photos, listening to MP3s. And uh, long story short, he introduced the iPod, which was not the first digital music player. There were others out there. They, they, were, they were a bit clunky, a little hard to use, a little big. And Apple, as it usually does, it came along and simplified the whole thing, made it a beautiful-looking device, easy to use. And the the catch cry was putting a 1,000 songs in your pocket, which at the time Steve Jobs described as uh, someone's entire music collection. I think that might change nowadays with streaming services. But this was this was an, a, a, the birth of... Digital music, not not quite the birth of digital music, but the resurgence of digital music, the acceptance of digital music as being the format of the future. Because at the time, you have to recall that Napster had come along and suddenly people were sharing digital files and customers were realising, hang on a minute, so what, I don't have to put a CD in, in to listen to music or a, a vinyl record or there's these little files I can hear that... This was our first introduction for many people with the iPod. Was our first introduction to MP3s and and all these different these different codecs to listen to music, and the fact that you could now in one device the size of a deck of cards have a thousand songs to play was a, a game changer at the time. And the fact that Apple were were fully backing this product was was a big deal as well. I can remember, I actually bought that first 
that first generation. It initially came out as a five gigabyte hard drive, which was enough for a thousand songs. And soon after that, in early 2002, I remember getting the 10 gigabyte version that was still Gen 1. And I still have it to this day. In fact, have a look on Tech Guide. That's my hand holding it in the, on, on our story on, on Tech Guide. I still have it. And anyone who's ever watched me on TV or seen any of my YouTube videos, you'll see over my right shoulder in the, in the top corner of the, of, the, of the shot, you'll see the original iPod is part of my background that I also use as well. So uh, it was a momentous day back then. And one that changed the way we listen to music and the way we buy music as well. At the time, iTunes had been launched. iTunes was launched in January 01, and this iPod came along in October 01. So iTunes was already there, and I think Steve Jobs described it as your digital jukebox. So the idea was, because there was no iTunes store, remember, so there was no way to buy music digitally at that time. So the, 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 what Steve Jobs was saying, what you could do was to purchase your CD and rip it into iTunes. So convert it to MP3 into iTunes. So you're building, you're digitizing your library. And at the time, it was, that was a, a perfectly legal thing to do. You, could, you own the CD, you could digitize it, and you were then able to upload it to the iPod through iTunes. And it had it had a firewire connection. That Apple invented that technology. It was a, a fast speed cable. We've got now USB C and, and all these other fast cables. Uh, so it was able to upload a CD to the iPod in ten seconds. That was it's that was one of the, the super features that it was it was fast thanks to that the firewire cable. And and so that that day it was uh, it became a huge product for for Apple and it spawned years of different models and it evolved over the years and it was only in 2007 with the introduction of the iPhone that the iPod I think that was kind of the beginning of the end for the iPod because iPod was still a strong product in 2007 and continued even after that. Not everyone wanted an iPhone in 2007. Not everyone could afford an iPhone in 2007. Phones and music were still two separate things for a lot of people. They didn't want to mix the two. I remember talking to people at the time thinking, well, no, I want to, when I listen to music, I don't want to be interrupted by phone calls and things like that. So there, there was that attitude back then where not everyone was a convert to having the iPhone be their iPod at the same time. Many people, obviously, they, they changed their mind. A lot of people thought, well, what other way can you do it? So that's why iPhone, at the time, it was, it was, the, it was introduced, it was teased before it was officially introduced at, at the keynote back in 2007 as a touchscreen iPod that, was, uh, that, that became a, a crucial part of the, iPhone, the iPhone's features. But over the years, the iPod really evolved. And, and what I like is that Apple really didn't, they didn't sit still with the iPod. That, that first iPod in October 2003, uh, that was updated not even a year later. So the, the first model went on sale in to late 2001. The second gen model was released in July 2002. So that had a 10 gigabyte and a 20 gigabyte variant. Looked basically the same, but less than a year after that, in April 2003, 
Apple released the redesigned third generation, which had touch-sensitive buttons. Remember, there were four buttons across the top for your play, pause, forward, and fast-forward, and then there was the scroll wheel. And that then, in January 2004, again, less than a year later, Apple released the iPod Mini, which was a massive success, numerous colours, and that is when I think the iPod really just hit the hit the stratosphere. It just was so popular, and and Apple from then on basically just owned the entire MP3 market. There was no point bringing out another MP3 player because iPod dominated in that in that area. Uh, in January, uh, so January '04, we saw the iPod Mini. 18 months later, would you believe? So the iPod Mini, one of the most successful products Apple has ever produced up until then, was replaced. So discontinued less than 18 months later when Apple introduced the iPod Nano. So in the background, they still had the classic iPod, which was slowly expanding its capacity. I think by then it was up to 120 or 120 gigabytes and was was still kind of your purist's iPod. The Nano and the Mini and the other colourful models were more for your, you know, someone who just wanted to have listen to audio on the move. This was the, the the original iPod was was ultra portable as Steve Jobs described it, but these smaller iPods were even smaller. I think it was sort of targeted at that the person who maybe wanted to go for a run and to do, to have them on their shoulder or in their pocket while they're training. And, and that's why I think Apple went down that path. But the, the iPod was continuing to evolve up until 2005. They introduced yet another iPod model, which was the iPod Shuffle. Now, if you cast your mind back there, it, it, it looked like a, a packet of chewing gum. It was about that size. And I was actually at Macworld in January 2005 when that product was introduced. Apple famously hosted Macworld a few days after the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas. So every year I'd go to Vegas for CES and then head up to San Francisco for Macworld. And Macworld always uh, kicked off at 9am and Apple was obviously the biggest attendee. And this was always where they revealed their own, the, the, the new product. It was famous, you know, and one more thing, and then they'd introduce this product. Uh, it's also too, before I talk about the, the shuffle, it's also too the reason why every single iPhone or any Apple product showing the time, it, you, you're wondering why it always says 9.41 a.m. You look on any Apple advertisement, any time they're showing a phone with the time, it says 9.41 a.m. Reason for that is because Macworld, which the Steve Jobs keynote would kick off at 9 a.m., by the time it got to 9.41, he would have introduced the new product and that was when all the billboards, every sign, everything changed in San Francisco to reflect the new product. I would go into Macworld Keynote at 9am, come out at 10 or whenever it, fin- whenever it finished and all the billboards had been changed to reflect the new product. And in this instance, it was the iPod Shuffle. And I can recall, I was sitting a few rows from the front, I can recall when Steve Jobs introduced it, the iPod Shuffle, and he said, it's available today. And I can remember hearing this, a huge kerfuffle behind me. It was people were jumping up out of their seats and rushing for the door 
to run up to the to the Apple Store, which was about four blocks away from the 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 centre where I think it was the Moscone Centre where the the keynote was being held, so they could go and buy it. So and by the time I finished that particular MacWorld and got back to walk past the Apple Store, they were already sold out of the iPod Shuffle. So that was the the first version of iPod Shuffle. But as I mentioned, iPhone came along in 2007, and that was sort of the start where iPod demand slowly started to dip. Uh, in, in 2007, months, mere months after introducing the iPhone, they introduced the iPod Touch. So it was like the phone, touchscreen, had all that the fascination around it, and it continues to this day. The last version was, was updated in 2009, I think just with new uh, capacities. But you can still today buy an iPod Touch, uh, which are all touchscreen, 32 gigs, 299, 128 gigs, 449, 256 gig is 599. Sales of iPods over those these 20 years have exceeded more than 400 million. And it, it's, it really revolutionised how we think of music, how we buy music, how we listen to music. It really, for, for many people, and perhaps you listening right now, you could be you could be one of these these customers who uh, has only ever known music in its digital form. So for people my age where you'd have to sit and listen to a CD or a vinyl record, the, 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 the fact that now you can listen to thousands of songs whenever you want and now with streaming services on demand, it's a result of that of the iPod that really changed all of that. And the other thing I should mention that the iPod spawned is a whole new media format called the podcast, which is what you're listening to right now. That's where it got its name. When the iPod was released and at the height of its popularity, people thought, well, hang on, rather than people can listening to music wherever they go, how about they listen to people talking about stuff wherever they go? So it was kind of radio on demand and look where it is today. But it was a result of that product being released 20 years ago that we have this amazing digital music infrastructure and streaming services and all of that convenience, and also because we have podcasts as well. So I'm very thankful that that happened back in the day, and I I still remember it. I still have that original iPod. Uh, Check it out on my uh, my videos, and also check it out on our story on Tech Guide. But the iPod, what a memory. 20 years of the iPod. So happy birthday, iPod. If you want to take a closer look at my original iPod and read our history of the iPod, you can check that out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. Now, last week, Apple's Unleashed event was a day or two after our IR podcast from last week. So uh, we are catching up with the news and the reveal was the 14-inch and 16-inch MacBook Pros powered by Apple's new M1 Pro and M1 Max processors. The other product announced were the third-generation AirPods, which we are reviewing in this show. So stay tuned for that. I'm going to focus on now the 14-inch and 16-inch MacBook Pros. And it was this wasn't a real shock. We, we kind of expected this. Uh, the the fact that Apple introduced not one new M1 processor but two new M M1 processors that was a bit of a surprise. So they have the M1 Pro and the M1 Max. The M1 Pro uh, is is system on a chip, bigger, faster, higher performance. M1 Max is even better. 
So think of uh, a, a computer, a processor that can that can handle. 4K, 8K uh, editing, rendering, 3D graphics, all of these high-performance stuff that creative professionals, uh, even they are in amazement at what these laptops can achieve performance-wise. For, look, for, for everyday users, perhaps like yourself, like I, I do the odd bit of video editing, but I'm not like full-on full at processing 4k 8k uh, all these different audio streams for some people on the go they they need that power in their hands and this is who they're aimed at i think for a lot of other users who maybe maybe they want to future proof their purchase if they 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 maybe not if they don't buy this one of these macbooks they, the MacBook Pros, they may feel that in the future they they may where they when they need the power they're not going to have it. So I think a lot of people are going to justify this purchase as something that they may use, hopefully need in the future. But for creative pros and and the professional users that that this was the, that inspired this this laptop, the, the the power and performance that this does offer is quite remarkable. Uh, and not only are there new the new processors under the hood, but also the the devices, the computers themselves, the laptops themselves, have had a bit of a makeover. Uh, starting with the display, the display now goes edge to edge and almost to the bottom. So where it used to say MacBook Pro, if you are if you do have a MacBook Pro right now, there's no room for that anymore because the screen comes right down to that level as well. The thing you will find, though, on the screen is a notch for both the 14 and 16-inch MacBook Pro. So similar shape, slightly bigger than the one you find on an iPhone. And everyone's saying, well, well why would you need a notch here? Well, it's to accommodate the FaceTime camera, but it's in a position where the menu bar would have existed anyway. You're not really going to use that part of the screen. So... Yeah, I reckon it could have been maybe smaller, the notch smaller, but I don't think it's a, it's a, a deal breaker. It looks pretty good where it is, but it's still there is still more screen real estate for a person to use. So the 14-inch screen is basically still contained in the chassis that's not much bigger than the 13-inch MacBook Pro. Uh, the 16-inch as well has this nice big footprint, big screen, but the device isn't overly large. Like a 16-inch, the previous 16-inch MacBook Pro is is going to be a lot bigger than this new model because of that the screen going edge to edge with those thinner borders. So bigger screen, but in a, in a smaller space that they've fitted in. Now, the screens are remarkable. They are the Liquid Retina XDR displays that have mini LED backlights, very similar to what you see with the latest 4K and 8K TVs. So display-wise, you're going to see tremendous quality, great image, image accuracy. So ideal for someone who's a filmmaker or a photographer, a videographer, they can see exactly what their videos and photos are supposed to look like. Uh, the screens also have a incredible brightness too, full screen up to 1,600 nits of peak brightness and a contrast ratio of 1 million to 1. The resolution of the screens is 16.2 inches is actually a screen area is 3,456 by 2,234 and on the 14.2 inch it's 3,024 by 1964. So really sharp, really nice looking screens. Uh, 
And when you when you look at the other features as well, it, I think it was a no-brainer they had to introduce ProMotion technology. So this is the adaptive refresh rate that is now that now exists on the iPhone 13 Pro Max and Pro, and also the iPad Pro, and now the MacBook Pros have that as well. So the adaptive refresh rate up to 120 hertz that can automatically adjust to the content you're watching and preserve battery life. That's the other key here is its power efficiency has increased. I remember with the M1 MacBook Air and the M1 Mac 13-inch MacBook Pro, I couldn't believe how much better the power, the, the battery situation was. It was twice as long, the batteries. So Apple's saying here up to 21 hours of video watching on these new MacBook Pros. So that is absolutely remarkable. And the chips, uh, we're talking being able to compute 33.7 billion transistors packed into the M1 Pro. So that's a lot of computing power. That's twice the amount that was in the M1. Uh, and the M1 Pro, uh, so the M1 Max takes that even further with a 10-core CPU and uh, a 32-core GPU for up to four times faster graphic performance than the M1. The M1 Max has 57 billion transistors. That's 71% more than the M1 Pro and three and a half times more than the M1. So you can see in less than a year, they've really ramped up the processing power. But the additional changes to the MacBook Pro are really interesting. And I think they indicate that Apple, this is, I think, Apple's way of saying, we got it wrong before. Back in 2016, Apple removed the SD card slot. It removed the, the, uh, the HDMI port. It removed the MagSafe port. And guess what? On these new MacBook Pros, they're back. MagSafe is back. SD card slot is back and the HDMI port is back as well. So I think for that professional user who probably voiced their opinion pretty loud in the in the years since the, that they've been gone, I think they've been rewarded for their persistence because Apple has brought them back. So I think that's Apple's way of saying, you know what, we shouldn't have done that in the first place. It's back again now. And I think that's a really, really positive move. The the actual, the MacBook Pros, the new ones, the 14 and 16 inch MacBook Pros, they do look a little bit like the older, the older MacBook Pros with sort of the, the base with little feet and the sort of the rounded edges. So it does sort of hark back to that architecture. Uh, these, these aren't heavy or, or thick by any means, but the shape and, and style, they certainly remind me of those older Mac MacBook Pros from, from years ago. The new MacBook Pros, are, though, aren't cheap. They start at $2,999 for the 14-inch. 16-inch starts at $3,749. And I got up just for, just, for, just, for, just for a laugh. I got on and specced up a 16-inch MacBook Pro with the maximum RAM, or what they call unified memory. It comes, the 16-inch comes with standard 32 gig of unified memory, which is what, the, what they now call RAM. You can go up to 64 gig. The 16-inch also comes with a terabyte of memory standard, but you can go up to eight terabytes. And I specced up a 64 gig MacBook Pro with, with eight terabytes of memory, and I think it got up to about 9978 bucks. And that's like all the bells and whistles uh, and with everything extra on board. So, yeah, they're not cheap, but not everyone's going to want that, that kind of uh, memory and that, that, that much unified memory. It's certainly up to you. 
the 14-inch and 16-inch MacBook Pros. If you want to check them out, you can do that at techguide.com.au. Well, Telstra is in the news again. They have actually clocked an amazing speed on 5G. They had 3.6 gigabits per second on the new Google Pixel 6 Pro. But we're, we're reviewing those devices in the reviews later on. But they, the Pixel 6 Pro, which is the larger of the new Pixel 6 phones, has both millimetre wave compatibility and sub-6 compatibility. Now, sub-6 is kind of the, the 5G platform that makes up most of the 5G network. Millimetre wave is the, the newer 5G flavour that actually has less range but more capacity. So it can, can fit more people and generate more speeds than sub-6, but it doesn't quite have the reach. So for that, that because of that, millimetre wave is going to be used in like you can only travel a few hundred meters so the cells are best suited to areas where there is intense use a lot of people like transport hubs cbds shopping districts airports sporting stadiums tourist hotspots these are the areas that are going to be served by millimeter wave now the google pixel 6 pro has both millimeter wave compatibility as well as sub six so if you're in an area, and in this case, Telstra have, have millimetre wave cells in the Sydney CBD, this speed of 3.6 gigabits per second was recorded in George Street in Sydney CBD with the Pixel 6 Pro. Uh, this, the Pixel 6 Pro, as we'll, we'll talk about later in the reviews, first phone in Australia to support both sub-6 and five, 5G millimetre wave formats. Uh, so remarkable achievement there, and not to be outdone, Optus also announced that it hit, it has been testing its own millimeter wave sites for the last six months, and they they say they've delivered speeds of more than four point five gigabits per second in a commercial environment, and more than five gigabits per second in a lab using a fixed wireless modem. Now Optus is calling its its millimeter wave rollout. It's calling it five G Max. And it says it's going to offer speeds 40 to 80 times faster than the current speeds on 4G and the NBN. Don't forget the NBN, if you've got 100 megabits per second, you're doing pretty well. So imagine a the 5G signal, so in the 3.6 gigabits per second is 36 times faster than 100 megabits per second NBN. And what are we up to? 5 gigabits per second, that's 50 times faster than 100 megabits per second NBN. Amazing. I don't know how we're going to use that kind of speed, but if you want to, like, you can download a movie in like a second. That, that's pretty good. Or your streaming content, that's also uh, really gets get you the best possible signal as well. So, uh, either way, Telstra 3.6 gigabits per second using the Pixel 6 Pro, which we are going to talk about later. If you want to read more about that, check it out techguide.com.au. Keeping you updated and educated. Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Norton. They're the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Now, if you're an online gamer, you want the best performance while still helping to maintain your computer security. And that's exactly what Norton 360 for Gamers offers. 
the patented game optimizer technology can help maximize gaming performance while still helping to maintain the level of security you've come to expect from Norton LifeLock. Game Optimizer can free your PC from power-hungry programs running in the background that eat up your system's resources, helping you get more performance out of your rig. Whether you're a hardcore gamer or just a casual player, Norton 360 for Gamers helps provide multiple layers of protection for your devices, game accounts and digital assets. Norton 360 for Gamers also includes features that help protect against cyber threats including malware and webcam takeovers. If you want to help ensure all the available computing power of your system is allocated to the game for maximum performance, while still helping to maintain maximum protection, then put Norton 360 for Gamers on your team. Listeners of the Tech Guide podcast will receive a 50% discount to a year's subscription of Norton 360 for Gamers by using the promo code TECHGUIDE when they visit au.norton.com forward slash techguide. And now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennick. Well, as promised, uh, the first review this week is the Apple's new third-generation AirPods that were announced last week at their Unleashed event. These are the third generation, and they actually look different and sound different. For a start, the on the design side, the stems on the AirPods are 33% shorter. So if you own the current AirPods, they have that rather long stem. Now that's a third shorter. So it sticks out of your ear a little bit less. It's also introduced the new force sensor as well on the stem. So you can use that to control your music. Now, we already know AirPods probably among the most popular wireless earphones in the world. And this third generation really does uh, does improve them across the board. Now, design-wise, we've already talked about the shorter stems, but they also have a slightly different shape as well. And they're angled to rest inside your ear securely. So he, the AirPods have always been something that just sits inside your ear rather than having to be jammed into your ear canal. Now, for us, they, they fit us pretty well. They, were, they, they sat inside pretty nicely. Uh, but they, they felt at times like they may fall out. I, I know we I tried them running and, and walking and in the gym and riding, and they stayed fine. But any kind of movement near your head, if you sort of happen to brush brush past your ear or scratch your ear, it is it is possible to knock them out of place and then for them to tumble out of your ear. So I think that uh, they they do look. Every, everyone everyone's ears are different, apparently, and, and almost as unique as as your fingerprint is your ear shape and size. So I think that what Apple has done, they've looked at various ear shapes and sizes and come up with this design uh, to suit the most customers. So they're designed to not only sit securely, but also to direct the audio clearly into your ear at the right angle. So it's, uh, it's designed to give you the best audio performance, but also the best and most comfortable fit. Now, a lot of people may like that because not, not everyone's comfortable having the earphones stuck in their ear canals, uh, it, it is uncomfortable for some people. Uh, a lot of people may prefer it because they, 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 they prefer the security of having something locked in place that's not going to drop out even if you do touch your ear or brush your hair or whatever you need to do. But in the case of the AirPods, it does rest in there 
doesn't doesn't have to be stuck down your ear very far. There is no silicon tip on the end of this AirPod. It's it's plastic like the other, like the earlier model. So it's not gonna. It, it doesn't even provide you with that that passive noise cancellation in this in, in this instance. Uh, so naturally, uh, the AirPods. Uh, people love wearing them to the gym and in out and about training and when you're sweating. So they do have an IPX4 rating. Uh, they do have the force sensor, as I mentioned. So it's one press to play and pause. Uh, it's two presses to skip forward, three presses to go back, and if you press and hold you also get uh, can call up Siri as well. So that is uh, that is really handy. So you don't need to touch your device. You don't need to touch your iPhone. It is a matter of you just uh, pressing uh, and using that force sensor to, do, to, to navigate your music. Now, there is an improvement, I've got to say, in the audio quality. It really does. The acoustic design, brand new, uses advanced software, takes advantage of the computational audio to maximize the quality. So the adaptive EQ is at work here, changing the music uh, as depending on what you're listening to and really sort of coming up and optimizing what you're hearing in real time. It actually uses an inward-facing microphone to listen to the sound you're hearing and then with, the, with thanks to the computational audio and adaptive EQ, it tunes in real time the low and mid frequencies to the shape of your ear to produce that really consistent and, and high-quality listening experience. And the good news is, too, that the audio quality isn't just reserved for the music. It also extends to your voice. There is an acoustic mesh that conceals a microphone that's set, it's set inside each earbud. And what that does, it listens out and tries to minimize background and wind noise. So when you're on a call, you can hear it really clearly. There is also a, a new speech codec, so it offers this full HD voice quality to uh, so you get a natural and clear communication for your voice calls. I do hear a lot of people asking about that because a lot, of, a lot more people are making calls on their earphones and uh, I think call quality is something that's really important. And the good news is the new AirPods third generation deliver in that department. So uh, they, uh, they do sound very clear. But on the audio front as well, the AirPods also provide spatial audio. So if you're listening to Apple Music, uh, Dolby Atmos with with uh, spatial audio, you can hear the music coming from all directions, not just left and right. So these new AirPods uh, can enable that. So it is compatible with these new AirPods. It also has dynamic head tracking. So it can be immersed in your sound. Dynamic head tracking works so that it kind of pins the stage in front of you. So if you move your head left and right, it, it'll change. As It's like you're at a concert where the stage is right ahead of you. And if you move, the sound is still coming from that same direction, and as you move, it changes how the sound reaches your ears. That's remarkable technology, and it is now compatible with the AirPod third generation. So, uh, look, I think all over we're talking about a pretty good update here. There is no active noise cancellation, so just get that clear. ANC is not part of these AirPods. Uh, they cost $279. It's interesting that there are plenty of earphones in that price range, even cheaper than the AirPods, that do have active noise cancellation. So there are options, 
Uh, that that's it would have been nice to see a, a, some form of noise cancellation without silicon tips. There's not even passive noise cancellation, but look, not a deal breaker. Still has tremendous audio quality. Still sounds great, and the fact that it's got that one touch connection with your iPhone. If you're an iPhone user, it is just a seamless connection, really easy to use with your iPhone, and uh, and so I think a lot of people don't want to sort of look past that convenience. They do have uh, a better battery performance too, up to six hours of uninterrupted listening on a single charge. That's an hour longer than the previous generation. There's also a five-minute quick charge where you can put them back inside the case, uh, and after five minutes, that'll give you an hour of battery life. The case itself, I should mention, has up to 30 hours of total listening time when you uh, take that case into account. It's got the battery on board there as well. The case is now also MagSafe compatible. So it does, you can charge them wirelessly on a MagSafe accessory or any Qi certified charger that'll work as well. Or just plug in the lightning cable and that'll charge that as well. Uh, so I think, look, the AirPods, third generation, they're 279 bucks. If you want active noise cancellation, you have to go up to the AirPods Pro, which is 399 bucks. Uh, so, look, I still think that you're getting a decent deal here. The AirPods, third generation, they're, they're still really loud, really clear. That they look, Noise cancellation, I think, is not, not everyone wants that. Uh, if they do want something that's that's really good quality, that seem that seamlessly connects to an iPhone, then the AirPods third generation is definitely worth a look. They're available now and priced at two hundred and seventy nine dollars. And if you want to read our complete review, you can check that out at techguide.com.au. Righto, next up in the reviews, we're talking about the new Google Pixel 6 and Pixel 6 Pro smartphones. Now, these are two really cool devices. I, 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 I say to people that this is, Google's done an Apple here. And by that, I mean they make the phone. They came up with the operating system for the phone, Android 12. First time we've seen Android 12 on a phone. And they've come up with the processor. So they've hit the trifecta like Apple. So Apple make the hardware, make the software, and make the silicon. Google has done the same thing with all three. And I tell you what, these are among the smartest uh, um, smartest smartphones on the market today. I think that they've got the great performance. They've got some really nice features as well. They look pretty cool. Great cameras. Uh, the, 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 the Tensor chip is what the Google's own silicon here. That enables things like machine learning and AI to enable these incredible features that we'll talk about. But uh, I think without a doubt, the best Pixel phones Google has ever produced is the Pixel 6 and the Pixel 6 Pro. Now, the Pixel 6 has a 6.4-inch display, has a matte aluminium finish. The Pixel 6 Pro takes it up to 6.7 inches and has a more premium look. It has this polished aluminium frame, so it's a shiny, really stands out, really catches the eye. They also feature two-tone finishes. So above and below the camera system on the back are two different colors, so slightly different tones of the same color, which is an interesting design choice. The camera system, as we, we just mentioned, it also is rather pronounced. The, the camera bump runs horizontally across the width of the rear panel. It is a couple of millimeters, uh, I think about 
I think three millimeters off the rear panel there. No, no bigger than others. Other camera bumps. I think the iPhone 13 has a decent camera bump, as does the Galaxy S21. So it's in good company. It's not like camera bumps or anything new, but I think uh, it does go all the way across the width of the phone, though, not just sort of tucked up in the corner like the iPhone and the Samsung devices. Running Android 12, as we mentioned, so this is a fresh new look, gives it a new appearance, new user interface. It looks, so so you've got different colour choices, gives it a new sort of bit of a different character too, and, and more personalisation options. That's what I like about Android 12. The notification shade's been redesigned. Uh, it's, it's more intuitive, offers a better view of your notifications, and also at a glance, you can see what media you're listening to or watching. So uh, that's a big improvement. The display, uh, the 6.4-inch display has a on the Pixel 6 has a refresh rate up to 90 hertz. The Pixel 6 Pro goes up to 120 hertz, which is matching the iPhone 13. It is adaptive so that it's not going to hammer the battery too badly. So you does go, does go all, on the Pixel 6 Pro, goes all the way up to 120. On the Pixel 6, goes all the way up to 90. And on both devices, goes as low as 10 hertz. So when you're viewing like static images, web pages, things like that, less of an impact on the battery. As I mentioned, the uh, the Pixel 6 and Pixel 6 Pro are powered by Google's very own Tensor chip. Now, this is the first processor designed by Google and custom-made for these Pixel devices. It's, a, it's up to 80% faster than the Pixel 5. You really do notice a difference. For our review, it was really smooth as butter. It was really fast. Apps opened really quickly. Scrolling between between apps was really fast as well. So really responsive. It, it, is, it is a definite change that you will notice. And even when you're playing games or using high-powered apps, the Google Tensor doesn't even break a sweat. Really easy, smooth, fast performance. And as I said, really snappy, opening, closing apps, moving between pages, editing pictures, videos, uh, really, really well done. And the Tensor chip also really does up the ante in terms of AI and machine learning. So features to, to facilitate features like speech recognition and live translate, that could, wouldn't be possible without a processor of this power offering this kind of performance. Now, on the camera side, and Pixel phones have always had great camera systems. And that tradition continues with the Pixel 6 and Pixel 6 Pro. Pixel 6 has a dual camera system. So it does have a 50 megapixel main sensor, a 12 megapixel ultra wide. So actually Pixel 6 Pro has the triple. So 50 megapixel main, 12 megapixel ultra wide, 40 megapixel telephoto. And the telephoto on the Pixel 6 Pro has a four times optical zoom. The Pixel 6 Pro has the dual camera system. That's a 50 megapixel main camera and the 12 megapixel ultra wide. So you're basically getting, uh, with the Pixel 6, you're getting the same two cameras of the Pixel 6 Pro. The Pixel 6 Pro adds a 40 megapixel telephoto with that 4x optical zoom. You can tell there's a little periscope, little periscope lens built into the back there. But uh, in terms of image quality and video quality, remarkable, sharp, crisp, bright. Uh, does not let you down. And, and you know what? We expected nothing less from these Pixel cameras. But you know what was really cool? Some new camera features. I'm going to mention a couple. The first is Magic Eraser. Now, this is like a – it's a bit like Photoshop. It, you can manually circle an object to remove it. So if someone's like – 
spoilt your selfie or someone in the background of a photo or an object in the back of the photo, you can circle it and it gets rid of it. It, it kind of rubs it out. It doesn't work 100% each time depending on the size and shape of what you're getting rid of, but most of the time it does a really good job. And what's really impressive is that it can actually suggest things to get rid of. There's one example we saw. We, we took a photo of like a tree line and there were power lines in the background. So when we went to the magic erase function, those power lines were highlighted to be erased. And when we accepted that recommendation, they disappeared. There were clouds behind them and everything, and it still looked like there was nothing there. Remarkable. And, and that's all thanks to that Tensor chip. It does really do a, a great job there. Uh, so th- that that... Well, that one feature really impressed us. Now, the Pixel 6 and Pixel 6 Pro can shoot both 4K video. They can both shoot 4K video at up to 60 frames per second uh, with HDR, which can be processed in real time. So, again, that processor really flexing its muscles. Now, on the 5G side, we mentioned earlier that the Pixel 6 Pro can handle both millimeter wave and and sub six. So if you're a customer who is looking to future-proof your purchase and take advantage of those faster speeds in those congested areas we mentioned with millimeter wave, your phone will be able to handle it. Pixel 6 can only handle sub six, which is kind of the generic 5G that it's in 99.9% of 5G coverage right now. And is, by the way, the only thing offered by the iPhone 13. iPhone 13 in the US has millimeter wave because there's more millimeter wave there. The iPhone 13 doesn't have millimeter wave because we are mainly a sub six 5G nation. So I think the iPhone 14 may have millimeter wave, but Pixel 6 Pro has beat Apple to the punch. It's the first one with both millimeter wave and sub six on board. Uh, in terms of battery, the Pixel 6 and Pixel 6 Pro, again, thanks, thanks to the Tensor chip, real power efficiencies have been created there. And there are ways you can, uh, there are adaptive preferences that can ext- extend the life of your battery. There's also an extreme battery saver feature. So if you re- are running low on power, you can really stretch it out. So what it does, it p- pauses most apps and notifications and gives you the most only the most important notifications or messages. For our reviews, each one, a day and a half of battery, not a problem. Uh, They can also handle 30-watt wired fast charging, which can take you from 1% to 50% in just 30 minutes. But no charges come with the Pixel 6 and Pixel 6 Pro. That fast 30-watt charger has to be purchased separately. Uh, Look, I think the Pixel 6 Pro and Pixel 6, definitely the best phones Google's ever released. They're priced at $999 for the Pixel 6. $1,299 for the Pixel 6 Pro. And these are, I think, Google's struggled a little bit in the past to try to contend with uh, Apple and Samsung in that sort of upper mid-tier and flagship market. But I think the Pixel 6 and Pixel 6 Pro are going to change that. We're going to see these uh, really, I think, are going to be very popular with customers. If you want to read our complete review, you can check that out at techguide.com.au. Right, oh, next up we're talking about the Sonos Beam Generation 2 soundbar. Soundbars are real popular, and I know a lot of people who they buy a TV, and a lot of them choose the brand of the TV 
as their soundbar. So, for example, you buy an LG TV, you might go the LG, the SP11, the brand new soundbar to go with it. If you're a Samsung user, you might choose to use there the, the 950A or whatever the model of the Samsung is to match the TV. But there are other options, and there the one of those other options is the Sonos. And the Beam, this is the second generation Beam, uh, is a really impressive device. And especially if you are already in the invested in the Sonos ecosystem. There are a lot of people who've got a house full of Sonos wireless speakers that they can control using the app, access all their streaming services, all of that. And now the Sonos Beam Gen 2 can be another speaker in that ecosystem. So you can use it as a soundbar, but it can also be used as a standalone speaker. So there's more processing power on board this time around too. Has a new phased speaker array, so it can steer sound around the room a little bit better. It's compatible with all the streaming services that can be found in the Sonos app as well. It does offer 3D audio with Dolby Atmos, so you're getting this nice atmospheric three-dimensional sound. You'll be hearing things coming from every direction, including from above you. Uh, and later this year, Sonos is going to support Amazon's high, Amazon Music's ultra-high definition audio, so you can listen to tracks in lossless audio. We're talking up to 24-bit, 48 kilohertz through this soundbar. Now, design-wise, the Beam Gen 2 has an updated polycarbonate grille, so it blends into your home a little bit better by still providing that great audio quality, though. Uh, in terms of looks and size, pretty much identical to the previous model. It's 65 centimetres wide, 10 centimetres tall, so won't look too obtrusive in front of your TV. It'll blend into the background. But you know what? Being small doesn't mean it doesn't sound big. And so you're going you're to get really decent output despite its smaller size uh, and its typical Sonos quality that you're getting. It's really easy to link the Sonos Beam to your Sonos app. If you've got an existing system, it'll seamlessly integrate into that setup and become yet another one of your wireless speakers. So you can link your streaming services. And of course, while you're watching TV, great. You can be having hearing the sound in great quality coming through the Sonos Beam. But if the TV's off, you can simply listen to music through the Sonos Beam as well. So if you're someone who maybe you're living in a smaller apartment or you don't have multiple rooms with all these other places to listen to your music, you can. this can double up as your wireless speaker as well. Now, there is a couple of little things you need to be made aware of, including the way this is connected to your television. There's only one HDMI port on the Sonos Beam Gen 2. And now this does promise Dolby Atmos, but it does need to connect to the HDMI EARC port. Now, ARC has been around for a while. TVs that are years old has that. But it's only the last couple of years that we're seeing televisions with HDMI EARC. ARC. The EARC means that it can, it's suitable for HDMI 2.1. Now, to make Dolby Atmos work properly through the soundbar, you need the HDMI EARC, which, which offers that pass-through. So in, in the normally what happens is the soundbar does all that heavy lifting, but in the case of the beam, it requires the EARC, so that the TV can do that pass-through and provide that heavy lifting. So I think that's a 
little little disappointing just that the soundbar doesn't just do that and provide that for any TV. It's only recent TVs with EARC where you can achieve Dolby Atmos. It'll still work if you don't have EARC. You just won't get Dolby Atmos. You'll still get a nice sound out of it. It just won't be as good as having EARC with that more that more uh, that more finessed Dolby Atmos sound, the more detailed sound. You just won't get that without EARC. Now, if you're a gamer, and if you've got an Xbox Series X or a PlayStation 5 with a recent TV, it'll uh, it'll give you that HDMI 2.1 bandwidth that comes with HDMI EARC. So, as I said, if you've got an older TV, the auto quality won't be on par as if you've got a new TV that supports EARC, but it will still sound pretty decent. It'll uh, you just won't have Dolby Atmos to the fullest to the fullest degree there. Uh, so. Overall, the Sonos Beam Gen 2 still provides a really good experience for your audio, for your when you're watching your movies and TV shows through the TV. It does have a respectable three-dimensional sound. Not as good as dedicated soundbars with rear speakers and subwoofers. You, you can buy a Sonos subwoofer, by the way. They're, I think, $1,000, which is more than what this soundbar costs. But again, if you're invested in the Sonos family, you may already have a Sonos sub, and the Beam Gen 2 can work seamlessly with that while you're watching your television but other soundbars have dedicated subwoofers also have dedicated rear speakers with up firing speakers that provide a bit more of a detailed Dolby Atmos sound they are twice the price those those other soundbars with the subwoofers and the rear speakers but and, and naturally they sound a lot better but the Sonos is a bit more compact it's a lot cheaper it's only $699 so you are getting a pretty a lot of bang for your buck in a small package, and if you have a more recent TV with EARC, it gets even better. The Sonos Beam Gen 2 is available now, priced at $699. If you want to read our complete review, check it out, techguide.com.au. You're listening to Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. Is your Wi-Fi struggling to keep up with your streaming, work, gaming, video calling and more? And what happens if you're doing all of that at once? When you're connected to your world by Wi-Fi, be sure it's the best. Bring your Wi-Fi up to speed with Orbi Wi-Fi 6 from Netgear. Orbi Wi-Fi 6 is the best and latest in Wi-Fi. It covers your entire home with the fastest Wi-Fi for uninterrupted streaming, video calling and working and learning from home on more devices than ever before in any part of the house. It's Wi-Fi perfectly engineered. Are you ready for the best Wi-Fi ever? Find out more at netgear.com.au slash best Wi-Fi. All your tech questions answered. This is the Tech Guide Help Desk. The Tech Guide Help Desk is brought to you by our good friends at Belkin, belkin.com forward slash au. They're the company to talk to if you're looking at buying cables, MagSafe accessories, face tracking mounts, They've got it all at Belkin, belkin.com forward slash au. Now, I've had a lot of questions. A lot of people are looking to buy TVs, and I do get a lot of people asking me, what do you think of Kogan TVs or EKO TVs? So these cheaper televisions you can find in Big W and other places. And my answer is the same. These TVs offer great value. Now, in terms of what you pay and the quality you get, it's not a bad deal. 
I think a lot a lot of people are realistic when it comes to purchasing a Kogan TV. They know it's not going to be as good as an LG OLED or a Samsung QLED TV or a Hisense ULED TV. But it does have 4K resolution, the connectivity, the smarts, the apps. So it does offer that kind of value. I often say to people, look, it basically does the same thing as those expensive TVs, just the quality isn't there. It's like comparing a Holden Commodore to a Rolls-Royce. They can both get you to the where you want to be. The Rolls-Royce just does it with a little bit more style and a little bit more quality. Uh, same thing goes for the EKO TVs, Echo TVs, which I've reviewed on Tech Guide and, and, and I've said in those reviews that, look, these aren't going to be better than Samsung and LG and Sony and all those other companies, but it does offer tremendous value for that customer who doesn't want to spend thousands of dollars, who just wants maybe a TV for a holiday house, for a kitchen, for a bedroom. They do offer that tremendous value. It's the same answer I give to all of those people who ask me. I think I answered two emails today for people asking me what I thought about those TVs, and now you know. And that's our show for this week. If you need to find out any more, you can find it at techguide.com.au. And if you want to get in touch with us, feel free, hit us up at info at techguide.com.au or hit that Ask Stephen icon on the Tech Guide homepage, and I will get an email as a result. We also want to thank our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you, your family, and your devices safe online. Please support the sponsors that support the Tech Guide podcast. Thank you once again for listening. We'll be back with another show next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected. 